poor John doesn't know what's going on because you've just relived the last five years of every bad thing that happened between y'all. Right. And he just wants spaghetti for supper. Exactly. <laughs> those, those are the bad nights. What happened? You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. We're back. Take five. <laughs> He's not kidding. <laughs> so, interesting. Um, Interestingly. That too. We um, do new and exciting things fairly often with my employees. So once a month, we try to take everybody out to do something fun as a team. And of course, Lori gets to come along. Uh, and because she provides a lot of the comic relief. <laughs> nah. Yeah. It, when It's like, you know, me by myself, you have kind of one thing to expect. Her by herself is kind of a different thing to expect. But when you put us together. We are you, off the chain, people. You don't know what to expect. So um, that's why we get invited places together. (laughs) (laughs) But we did something we've not done before. We went axe throwing, which I thought it would be fun. I did not think it would be that much fun. You thought it was like, what? Axe throwing? I went for the pizza. Yeah. So we we go eat pizza. We go to this axe throwing place. And let me tell you something. I know it. it always matters who's with you. That, you know, that makes or breaks any event. But... Dude, it was so funny <laughs> watching people throwing hacks. <laughs> I have not laughed so much, probably since our last company get together with your people. <laughs> it's like you would have thought that we were asking people to do some type of super physical sport. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. I know. It's almost like you ever took somebody bowling. That doesn't know how to bowl, how funny it looks when they're trying to do it. Axe throwing was the same way. And you're like, it's just chunking an axe at a board. Chunking an axe. Yeah. (gasps) Axe chunking. (laughs) That's what we were doing. We weren't doing axe throwing. We were doing axe chunking. No, look, there was one lady there with us. She was chunking. Like, she was throwing that axe with some ill intent. Well, and before we went, she told me, she said, I'm having a lot of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) about going. And I said, are you? I said, I had dreams that we like got hurt. She said, I did too. And so we're like, well, it's a good thing we're eating pizza because, you know, we'll think we had pizza sauce on us instead of blood or something. Oh gosh. So we were cutting up about that and we get there and this girl throws them so hard. I'm not exaggerating. They would go like two inches deep in the board. It was crazy. And these men were throwing them, and they were lucky to get theirs to stick, much less go an inch and a half. Yeah, she was like double-handed, just throwing that thing with a vengeance. So we got to pick nicknames for each other <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> and I picked her nickname to be Lizzie Borden. <laughs> If you don't know who Lizzie Borden is, look it up. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> That's a terrible name to give somebody. Oh, it was great. It was perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. But her husband, who is, what, six foot tall, 300 pounds, mm-hmm. something like that. He's He, he threw like a girl. He throws his, his axe. Now, I say his axe. It's really more like a hatchet. Mm-hmm. So 
or tomahawk. <laughs> so he throws his thing, and I swear to you, he does spirit fingers when he throws it, like like his hands. Like he <laughs> was throwing pixie dust after Yeah, it. exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like he was flinging some dust <laughs> his hands. It was so hilarious. <laughs> and the little guy they assigned to you could not keep it together. Yeah, he's like a, a coach to help us learn how to throw because – you know, you do have to kind of get your, not just aim, but you got to figure out the rotation of the axe and all that. So you know how far you should stand and all that good stuff. So he did a fantastic job of, you know, teaching us, but dude, it was so funny. He was hilarious too. The little teaching guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it was, it came down basically to me and one of the other guys there. And I was just having a ball. Didn't, care that much i mean i cared you know but i wasn't being competitive like i normally am and this guy was being so competitive and we had to switch i guess lanes you know you you threw so many times and it's one lane and then you switch lanes and when we switched lanes he just started missing like crazy it just messed with him the whole different view <laughs> I, I really think it's because when you're throwing say on the right lane it's an open cage format, basically, and you've got two boards. Like a, like a batting cage, right. except you're not facing outwards, you're facing inward. So when you're on the right and you're throwing it, you have the cage to the right. Yeah, so you see the fence. Right. So when you're on the left-hand side, I think it's more intimidating because you don't have that protection to the other person. Mm. So I think you're more cautious, maybe. I think I did better on that side, though. Because probably, I guess for me, I felt like I had more room to throw, even though it's not, but you don't, I don't have that barrier in my eyesight where I'm throwing on the same side. Right. But anyway, I ended up, I ended up getting more points, which it wasn't really a competition for me, but, um, I could tell that it bothered the other guy. <laughs> he didn't win. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, David always wins. No, I don't always win. Yes, you do. <laughs> Even when we went painting one time, they were like, oh, that's sellable. <laughs> I'm like, really? You do not know what you just did. <laughs> so the next time we went painting with David's group, the first time we went with a family, and the second time we went with David's work group, I told that lady, I said, do not tell him his work is sellable. Do not tell him it's good. Nothing. You hear me? Nothing. You don't hear that, folks? Like, she tells people not to tell me that I'm doing a good job. Yes, I do. That's terrible. No, they don't have to live with you. But when you went to the bathroom, she told me I did a good job. That's what you said, but I didn't hear it. <laughs> so anyway, big dude, that's six foot tall, 300 pounds, whatever he is. His nickname was Spirit Fingers. <laughs> because he was like a little fairy, wiggling his little fingers after he would throw the axe. And it was hilarious. <laughs> And David was boss man, because hmm. that's what they all called him, of course. And Chattelack. Chattelack, a lack, a lack. Yeah. Anyway, it was fun. If you've never done it, I recommend it. Honestly, I think it was, it was kind of stress relieving to a degree. I was sore the next day. Were you? <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. But it, it was. It was hilarious, y'all. I'm not kidding. I could not stop laughing. And... It was kind of scary at first, but then you kind of get comfortable with it, I guess. And then you had the competition at the end. 
And then old Spirit Fingers over there <laughs> tries to slip the teacher guy that's also the judge a dollar. <laughs> so if you haven't been axe throwing or axe chunking, as we call it down here, I guess, <laughs> you should go. It yep. was a lot of fun. It was more fun than I ever thought it would be. Yep. We may even start doing the the nacho kids axe throwing for the, the stepmoms who need to get some anger out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Who do we have today? Today, we have a couple to follow up with our month and one week of men. And it is Amy and John. All right. They have his, hers, and ours. They've been blending seven to eight years and married for six years. John has a daughter who is nine. Amy has a son who is 11 and a half. And they have an hour son that's one and a half. Hmm. The hardest part of their blending was trying to force a nuclear family off the bat and feeling rejected when it backfired. Yeah, don't we all do that? Sound familiar, folks? I know we did. We tried it. It's like that square peg in a round hole. Mm -hmm. Some people say, you can't put a square peg in a round hole. And I say, oh, I beg to differ. If you nail it hard enough, it will go in. But it'll be damaged in the process. And that's what we were doing. We got damaged in the process. We got damaged in the process trying to put the square peg in the round hole. You know, I I remember this recording, not because I was on it, but because I walked in to Uh the room while you were interviewing these people and I saw their names up on the computer monitor. And because their names are the names of my ex-wife and her significant other sometimes <laughs> i don't know it depends on what week it is because it was the same names it freaked me out i'm like what are you doing <laughs> talking to them <laughs> i'm like certainly they didn't come to you for <laughs> for coaching <laughs> i saw this look on his face and i just couldn't help but laugh i know because uh isn't it like her name spelled the same too yeah yeah, yeah it was like it did i mean i, I was i didn't know what to say and i was like certainly you're not interviewing <laughs> my ex on the podcast. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed talking with Amy and John because, again, they tried so hard and it didn't work. And then they finally found Nacho. Yep. We do discuss the court system in this interview. So just so you know, Lori gets a little riled up again. <laughs> I love how I talk about myself in third person. Yeah, it's not that you're talking about about yourself in third person. It's that you're you have split personalities, and so you <laughs> do that, and it's okay. Yeah. So when you when you talk about Lori, I just know that you're not Lori right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're identifying as one of your other personalities. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> gotta love the court system. Yeah. But you know, in all uh, in all fairness, though, you did allow me to meet all of your personalities before we got married. <laughs> Which is why you should always date people for four full seasons an entire year so you can see all the changes they may have. That's my dating advice for this episode. Well, David didn't let his button pushing come out till after we got married. Because I'm smart. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, but let me tell you this, folks. As much as she complains about it, when I'm sick and I don't feel well, like I'm talking about like, in the bed sick, which doesn't happen very often. Thank goodness. But she's like, Oh, I missed you button pushing and aggravating me. I don't say that. I've never said I miss you button pushing me. I might say, are you okay? And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I miss you picking on me. Yeah. Okay. Well, however you want to say it, it means the same. No, thing. it does not. There's a <laughs> difference between picking 
and button pushing. Button pushing results in cortisol levels <laughs> rising. Uh, so now we have different layers of button pushing. There's level one, which is picking. No, they're oh, okay. different. They're different. Okay. Yes. All right. All right, David, quit talking. Okay. Back to our guests. I'm bossy, aren't I? Yeah, you are. Okay, David, will you please quit talking so we can get on with this interview? I've heard that before. That's a nice way of saying, would you shut up? See? Can't win. All right, next. (laughs) All right. But first, (laughs) here's a word about the Nacho Kids Academy found at nachokidsacademy.com. No, by the way, before we do that, how about head on over and leave a review for this podcast because we love reading the reviews. As a matter of fact, we should read one. Okay. All right, David, read us a review. All right. So we haven't done these in a while. I really need to try to throw these in every episode because we had quite a few come in recently. And I like reading these things. They're awesome. So let's see. Let me just pick one here. This one comes from Joel WH. And title is, Not Your Kids is Brilliant. So he says, I entirely misunderstood what was meant by not your kids parenting until I came across this podcast and actually looked into what they were teaching. Good job, Joel, because lots of people don't look into anything. They just take somebody else's word for it. David, read when I the did, And I continue, when I did, wow, it was completely different than what I thought. Better, more helpful, and potentially marriage saving. Plus, they're hilarious. At least David is. If you haven't listened in yet, you're missing out. David and Lori, keep up the great work. Thanks, Joel. That's sweet, but I bet if I go read it, it doesn't say especially David. (laughs) Are you sure? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, and then one more. Uh, Marlene Bond writes, well, her title is Love It with a Little Heart. I don't know how she did that heart, but it's cool. Um, (laughs) I just started listening, and OMG, I was missing out. I'd love more info on the Not Your Kids Academy and to see if we should start. I'd love to tell you my story by a mom to four and stepmom to two boys with different moms. So two totally different situations to navigate. So there we go. Marlene Bond, reach out to us, contact us at notyourkids.com. And I'll let Lori see if she can get you on the show. And of course you should join the Academy. Yep. If you got to question it, then there's no question about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, wrap us up. All right. Speaking of the Academy, here is Not Your Kids Academy. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle stepfamily challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. Today, we have two very special guests, Amy and John. Hey, Amy and John, how are you? Hey, good morning. We're doing pretty well. How are you? Good. So how long have y'all been blending? We have been blending for, I would say, approximately eight years. Started dating about eight years ago, and we both had kids from our previous marriage, and we got married. About six years ago, so about eight years total. Okay. And John, how old is your child? Uh, she is nine. Okay, so she was just a baby when y'all started dating. Yes, she was. She was just over one. Okay, and Amy, what about you? Uh, my son is almost 12, so he's 
going to be 12 in January. So he was just about four, a little, to, little yeah. close to four when we started dating. Yep. Okay. And you have an hours child? We do. We have a almost two-year-old son. What's the visitation schedule with your daughter, John? So it boils down to just about like two weekends a month. Uh, I The technical verbiage is any long weekend that she has off of school with a, a minimum of two. So if she's got a Friday off or a Monday off, I get those long weekends. And then if she's got nothing in that month, then I'm entitled to the first and the third weekend. And then almost all of summer. Yeah. And then summer's nice. So you get her all of summer? Uh, yeah. So our summer schedule is three weeks on, one week off. So I do get her, yeah, just about. Okay. How far away does the bio mom live? Uh, she is about four hours away. That's kind of hard to do weekends with four hours away, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So we've been um, leveraging family and sometimes we can get her to meet like uh, not even halfway, but it cuts about an hour and a half off our drive. So it's pretty brutal, especially for a weekend. Um, yeah. But we do what we have to. Exactly. Amy, what about your son? How often do you have him? So we have my son full time. Uh, he goes to his dad's roughly every other weekend. And then about three weeks in the summer, he goes to stay with his dad. Okay. And of course, you have your sweet baby all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. What's your relationships like with your exes? So with my ex, we are very cordial. We are able to get along extremely well. It's one of, I think, probably the most ideal co-parenting relationships just in terms of getting along. I would almost say that he gets along better with John than he does with me at times, <laughs> but it goes pretty well. We're very flexible, very understanding. We communicate fairly well. And I think that it boils down to just a mutual respect for, for the other parent. Right. My ex still is contentious. She isn't good into compromise. She's very much a blamer. She still thinks I ruined her life by getting a divorce. So it's still just eight years in and she still holds it against me. And it's difficult. We, we have a parenting plan and any time that you try to enforce it, it's a blame game. Like I'm trying to get one over off of her trying to keep to what we agreed to in court. And it's just, it makes things difficult. So she's high conflict. High conflict. Is Bio Mom in another relationship? She is. She just got married in the month. Okay. So maybe, just maybe, she won't be so high conflict now. <laughs> I mean, I hope. We, we kind of hoped that that would be the case when they start dating. They've been together for two, three years, quite a bit. But, you know, we have hope. You know what? That's all you can have in these blended relationships. <laughs> right, <is hope>. right. <laughs> so you do have a parenting plan, but she doesn't like it if you try to follow it. Right. She doesn't know. Like, she has. She acts dumb about it, like she doesn't know what's in it. And so when something comes up abnormally, you know, an exception, a death in the family, whatever, it's like pulling teeth to make her understand, like, this is what we agreed to. Like, this is the, I'll call it entitlement that we agreed to. And I want this to be followed. Like, that's what we agreed to. And it just, yeah, it, it can never be an easy conversation. It's always arguing like for days about it and it's in black and white it's crazy i feel your pain um (laughs) sounds like the relationship that i have with my son's father to the point of i had to push out my mother's funeral so my son could attend they 
she tried to do that with my father when he passed. Luckily, I sucked my guns and made her give in and I was able to get my daughter here, but it was terrible. It was a very difficult situation. You know, I'm glad you brought this up because in my parenting plan, there's nothing addressed about deaths. Mm. And I don't think there is in a lot of people. So this is definitely something that people starting to work on their parenting plan or in the middle of it or have to go back to court later, definitely add that in there. Yeah, absolutely. My parenting plan has verbiage for life events, and then it labels them out and like how much time you get for each one. So there was one for marriage of um, myself or either parent, uh, death, and then like, <laughs> like very technically, like who can die? And then this goes into effect, like um, parents, parents, step parents, grandparents, step grandparents. Um, like we put it down so that there wasn't a question. That's very smart. I always tell people you cannot put enough information in a parenting plan. Yeah, I would agree. And there can't be gray areas. No. Like you said, it's your words is specific on who dies and mm-hmm. what that applies. Did you include in there when um, Amy had a baby? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So when, uh, uh, when our son was born, we were able to bring my bio daughter up for three days, I think. And that's, you know, of course, was still an argument, but we were able to, to win on that one as well. Um, I, I just want to say one thing. You're, you're absolutely right about the gray area because every inkling of gray area that we have had in our parenting plan is a battle. And it's a battle of will of who wants to give in because the court systems, at least in Iowa and Missouri, will not enforce it. Like it's, it's really just an agreement between parties and you can go for contempt, but unless you want to go to court, the sheriff's not going to come in and step in and enforce this. It's just a dispute between parents. And so unless you have something really concrete, that's going to hold up in court as contempt, it, you're sunk. It's useless. Yeah. And that's how it is in my state too. The cops aren't normally going to be involved. We did have an instance years ago with David's kids, the bio mom pulled up in the driveway and said she was going to get them. It was her time, and it wasn't. So David called the cops, and luckily, to our benefit, the cop said, well, it looks like it's his parenting time. If you have an issue with it, go to family court. So he did kind of side with David on it, but most of the time, they'll just go, sorry, we're not getting involved. That's a family court issue. Exactly. And then on top of that, if you do go to court for contempt of court, you could end up with a different judge that doesn't see why it was in there in the first place. Yeah. We went to court. We tried to go to court twice. We uh, Once when we you know, first actually divorced and set up our parenting plan, and we actually were able to get up on the stand and tell our side. And the judge basically was like, you're both competent parents. You need to come up with a reasonable plan. Like They wouldn't decide who should have full custody or be the custodial parent. And then when we were having some really bad rough patches, we tried to go back to court and the judge refused to see us. The guy drove down it because the um, jurisdiction is the four hours away. And uh, we went, I went down there for court. We had a court day set, show up and the judge called in our lawyers and was just basically like, you need to work this out. I don't, we're not going to see you today. And so we got into, we had to mediate and we, we couldn't even bring it in front of the judge. It was, it was ridiculous. At that point, I just realized there was just no, even there's no point. I would be livid. I'd probably have ended up in jail. 
Yeah, I, I was. Absolutely. That's ridiculous. The judge could have made that decision before you drove all that way and paid your attorneys to drive all that way. And, you know, we have had a judge one time that said, if you can't come to an agreement, I will make sure neither one of you are happy. So it's almost like you're forced to come to an agreement and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the best interest of the child. And it's also in the heat of the moment. You're both there. It's, you know, it's been weeks or months leading up to this day where you expect to essentially get justice, right? You want you want to feel like everything you've worked for is going to come to fruition and you'll get the time that you deserve and only to be told, no, you need to work with this person who you already have been fighting with and unable to work with and come up with something on the spot. Yeah. In one of our court hearings, the judge made my son's father and I go to counseling. Well, I knew it was a waste of time, but I'm, I'm doing what I'm told. We subpoenaed the counselor after the fact, and the counselor told them, said he only went because you told him to, and he had no interest in trying to work with her. I really wish we could revamp the family court system. Absolutely. It's a money-making scandal. Mm-hmm. The child's best interest is not the point of it. And depending on the judge, you know, one judge can say, no, there's no paramours allowed or, you know, no people of the opposite sex spending the night when you have the child, then the next judge can go, well, that's ridiculous. You know, they're going to see other people. And it just depends on the judge. Yes. It's it's sad. Ext- it is sad. It's very, it's such an antiquated system that just doesn't provide any benefit other than to, you know, have this legal document that gives the bare minimum to each parent. And it's almost always when the child is, you know, being used as a pawn, essentially, at that point. Right, exactly. And I know with my ex, yeah, there's a court paper. And yes, the judge signed it. So it should be a legal and binding document. But he does what he wants to. Mm-hmm. Yep. And unless you want to fork out ten grand, go to court, hope for the best, then what's the point? Right. I really think that the court orders, whatever they say, if you break them, There shouldn't be any ifs, ands, or buts. It shouldn't be, well, I'm not the judge that ordered this, and I think this is ridiculous. It should be, you broke the law. Absolutely. This was your law, and you need to pay court fees for the other person, and you need to pay a fine, or you need to lose time with your kid, or you need to go to jail. Something. There's no incentive for people to follow the court order. Yes, My cousin had a bad situation. Her kids were to go to their dad's for like, say, a week at Christmas. And he lived several states away. Well, he wouldn't send them back. She spent over $100,000 to get her kids back. And you know, nothing happened to the dad. Wow, that's unbelievable. It is. It really is. And I hate the whole attorney thing. I'm going through some stuff right now with my son's father. And it's like, they just keep running up the bill. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. To your point, it's just a, a way to make money. Yeah. And then they're all friends afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Let's go on vacation on my yacht together after we just ring these people a new one. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I could talk about that forever. So we'll just not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day the court system will be revamped. We even said that maybe it should be like a trial by jury where you have right. you know, peers that hear your story and hear what happens and decides what's best for the kid. Heck yeah. That'd be way better than what we ran into. At least you'd feel some sense of justice. 
because you know you presented your case and regular people are like yeah either you're right or you're crazy it's like then you really know because the judge doesn't that's one person and their opinion and i mean judges in general are they're they're older they have been around for a while and they're institutionalized and just polarized depending on what political party they're with you know and what their belief systems are it's just it's very skewed and they're most of the time retired lawyers exactly and what's that saying about lawyers and car salesmen being crooked (laughs) but yet we have a judge deciding what's best for our children that they don't they don't even get to hear you talk they hear your attorney Mm -hmm. i just it's crazy i'm telling you it drives me nuts I think that we should be able to go in the court system, if nothing else, not have to get attorneys for everything. We should be able to go in there and say, look, this is our issue. This is what the court paper said. They're not following the order. Do something about it. Mm-hmm. But I've seen instances where people represent themselves and it goes well. And I've seen instances where it just completely goes to crap because the judge was a stickler for courtroom etiquette. Yes. Oh, okay. Let's talk about something else. Okay. <laughs> We'll probably get back on the court system, I'm sure. (laughs) So how do your kids get along? Our kids get along phenomenally. I would say they are pretty much best of friends when they are here. Uh, There are, there do tend to be some sibling rivalry, more so in the summertime when they're both here for an extended period of time. But they are just so creative together and they love to entertain and they have friends that are close in the neighborhood that are constantly seeking out the company of both of them. And they are just close enough in age, um, I feel like, and maybe maturity level as well, that they can get along well and enjoy the same things. That's awesome. And I think you know how special that is and how thankful you should be that your kids get along. Yes, we do not take that for granted at all. And it may change, but think about siblings. My sisters and I fought like crazy. It's not always a bad thing. Some of my best memories are my sister and I fighting over a buff puff. (laughs) But since yours are a boy and a girl, hopefully you won't have those issues of, you stole my clothes. Yeah, I I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) You never know, though. That's true. So do you try to do... The weekends where you have both of them together, it sounds like it would be kind of hard to do because you probably have a set schedule with when your son goes to his dad, Amy, and then John's just kind of based off different circumstances or different situations. Yeah, it becomes very convoluted. I would say up until the past year or two, we tried very hard to coordinate schedules uh, with my ex and then, you know, going off of the schedule that... Uh, she has for school. And we did pretty well uh, until my ex got uh, into a relationship with a woman who also has a child. (laughs) And so then there's like a third custody situation and schedule happening on on their side. And so it wasn't always possible at that point to kind of pick and choose our weekends. Mm -hmm. So we've really kind of gone back to an every other weekend. And that boils down to sometimes we have his daughter here when my son isn't here. And sometimes we have my son when his daughter is not here. But I think it's actually working out pretty well. We spent, I would say, the first five years, six years of our marriage kind of trying to force this view of a nuclear family and, you know, onto ourselves and thinking, you know, we should all be together all the time whenever we have the opportunity. And so we're kind of learning to relax on that a little bit and give each child some individual attention as well. 
Right. Because they need that. Yep, for sure. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us is we want a nuclear family. We don't want this blended crap of where you're having to deal with the ex and all that stuff. And we just want a quote, quote, normal family. And we try so hard to get that. And then it backfires. Yes. I could not agree with you more. So you went in and you tried to be the happy little family. And then you saw that wasn't going to work very well. It took us a long time. So we seriously were, you know, this no other way about it, right? This is our family. We're, we are a family. And we did that for literally five, six years. And we hit a breaking point and we were just unhappy. And, you know, visits weren't happy. They were anxiety ridden and trying to force these schedules and, and fight with the exes to, to make it work. And, you know, we needed something else. And we, we uh, heard about and started looking into the, the nacho phenomenon and um, heard a lot of things that made a lot of good sense. And so we've been trying to put that to, to practice. And it's funny because it's so counterintuitive to what you would think it would be. Mm-hmm. But it works. It takes that stress off. It's okay for it to be two separate families in some senses and at some times. Yep. We are... Um Coming from one extreme to the other, uh, when our relationship first started and we realized that we were going to have these co-parenting relationships, my instinct, of course, you know, as a mom is to take control and take the reins. And so I would say for the first several years, I was the driving factor. I was probably that new wife that gets that rap about pushing the dad to do this or have this fight or work for this exchange or compromise and kind of picking the battles for him. No way, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, way. I know it's hard to believe, but that is where we just found misery. I was miserable because I was putting so much effort into the core system, writing their parenting plan, setting up appointment appointments and communications with the lawyers, knowing far more than John did about what he was entitled to in terms of rights and times and, you know, that co-parenting relationship. And then it got to the point where I realized that I'm putting all this effort in. John doesn't even know kind of where that falls. He's just relying on me to tell him and create the schedule and know, you know, what he's, when he's going to see his daughter next. And I'm starting to realize, well, his daughter doesn't even really like to be here. And this is so stressful. And I am putting so much of my effort into this that I don't have energy for anything else, much less myself. It was an eye opener to realize that that was the root cause of all the issues. And I essentially made it for myself. It is. And it's not easy to step back enough to where you can realize that. But once you realize that you're a big contributing factor in the stress, it's not that you're doing it to cause stress, you're doing it from the best of intentions and from wanting the best for the kids and wanting the best for your family, but it just doesn't work. Exactly. And I hope you didn't beat yourself up when you realized it. Um, It was a lot of introspection when the Step Family Summit happened recently and there were all the guest speakers in the classes. There was one in particular um, about high conflict personalities. And John and I listened to that separately. And when we came together, I came into the discussion going, crap, that's me. Like I'm actually that high conflict person. And he came into it going, gosh, my ex is the high conflict person. Can you believe this? (laughs) 
And so um, we really had to work together to figure out, you know, that's right there. That's it. Like her and I are both more on the high conflict side of things. And so she's not going to back down. She's not going to recognize that she's not going to grow as a person. I have to do that. Right. Yeah. But don't you feel so much better now? I feel better knowing what the issue is and, you know, working together to to help fix it. Right. I don't even know if fix is the right word, but to help get us on the right path. Right. I don't think that it's necessarily, like you said, fixing it. It's completely changing. Yes. Not making the same mistakes and letting go of that control. And it's hard. It's hard to say, fine, we'll just let, you know, the let John take over. And it's like, but we don't want to see John fail. We don't want to see John struggle. We want to help John. But John, but John can do it himself. I struggle with that even now, knowing what I need to do. And if he does come to me just to talk about an issue, not necessarily looking for me to solve it because I have so much background with, again, the court system and their parenting plan and just knowing the ins and outs of that, I instantly want to solve that problem for him. And sometimes I'm still guilty of planting the seed, you know, where he can look or what he can do, but I'm slowly learning to step back and let him make those own decisions. And sometimes failing in that regard is really best. Well, that's how we learned, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So John, how did you feel when Amy would tell you, well, this is what you need to do, or you need to push for getting more time with her because it's your time or things like that. How did that make you feel? So Amy's input was always welcome. I never had a problem with her pushing for that and like telling me what her thoughts were or what we wanted. The issues and the conflict between us that would arise is that I didn't want to talk to my ex-wife about it. I didn't like, I get where Amy was coming from. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You're right. But to do that means that I have to communicate with my ex-wife at a level that I don't want to. Like, I don't like her. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to communicate with her. I don't want to fight with her. Um, and it just became this point where Amy's expectations were like, well, you want to see your daughter, right? Fight for her. Get this stuff. I'm like, I get it. But it just, it causes so much stress inside of me that it's just, it hurts me to do this. And then I get put in this spot in in between like where Amy wasn't, uh, didn't think that I was pushing hard enough or I should push in a different way. And I'm like, well, I'm doing it how I think it'll work. Like this is where I'm, this is my comfort level with communicating with her mm-hmm. and, and the approach that I want to do. And if, and when we were really butting heads, it was like, Amy would be like, no, you need to do this. Like, and that would cause just Anxiety in me is where it finally got to after years. Cause every time one of these issues arose and it was just was like, great, here we go again. Like no one's going to be happy with me. And this is miserable. Like I don't even want to try because I know where this leads in uh, a relationship standpoint between the two women. And I just don't want it. And uh, really having Amy step back from that has been so such a relief. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's a conflict or I need to push on my ex, I can do that. And since Amy's not giving me feedback and she's not concerned about it and she's not giving that contention, now the anxiety is almost gone. And it's like I'm more apt to push my ex when appropriate or when I feel like it's appropriate mm-hmm. and in the way that I want or in the way that I think might work. So it's it's already showing dividends for me on my side. Good. And, you know, that's the thing is... It's easy for us to sit back and say, 
you need to do this, you need to do that. But you know your ex. You know that pushing her in certain ways is not going to be productive. And that was one of the hardest things for me to do with David was the ex would send emails and I'm like, oh, you need to light back into her and tell her blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he's like, what's the point? Why do I need to spend two hours or three hours coming up with these emails to defend myself against someone that has zero meaning in my life anymore other than she's my kid's mom? So we have both learned, and it took us a while, when it comes to communicating with the ex, if they attack us, we respond with, okay, that's it. We don't spend hours trying to come up with the emails anymore. We don't spend nights not being able to sleep because, oh, I saw their name pop up in my email and I don't want to read it right now. And I mean, I don't know about you, but when I see an email with my son's dad's name on it, I'm like, uh, it just causes me stress immediately. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, we communicate through texts. And so it pops up with my ex's name. And it's like, it doesn't even matter if it's good, bad, indifferent. I just, I see it. I'm like, oh, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to look at it. Yeah. They could send you an email or a text that says, you are the best parent in the world. <laughs> but seeing their name just causes disgust. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because we know from past experience that the interaction is not good. And John, I definitely can relate to you so much because I'm telling you, my son's father and I cannot communicate about anything. It could be a doctor's bill. You would think, okay, here's a doctor's bill. You pay your percentage. I pay mine. The end. Oh, no. It's not that easy (laughs) because the response I get is, well, if we would have had him on my insurance, we would have only had to pay such and such. So that's what I'm paying. Like, what? Oh, no. But like, okay, well, if we would have had him on your insurance when he had to have this other thing done, your insurance wouldn't have paid for it and we would have had to pay $1,500. So are you going to send me 750 bucks? No. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's so stressful. But thankfully, my son being 15 now, if he wants to change up at Christmas so he can go with his dad to the family thing in the mountains, that's fine. He can go. But he can coordinate that. I don't have to get involved. That's so nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it will happen. So how often do you talk to your daughter, John? Uh, It varies. Sometimes I talk to her every night. Sometimes we go a few days without talking. It all depends. Well, Amy made a comment a minute ago that your daughter didn't like coming. Amy, was that because of you parenting her? I don't really know where it stems from other than... I'm kind of guessing just a the high conflict within our within our home when you know when she's here that's often when baby mama picks up on the time when she's going to pick fights because she doesn't have her daughter there she feels like she's lost some of that control and so often when his daughter is here that's when a lot of the communications happen where the fighting starts. And so I think she kind of felt that in an underlying manner. Oh, yeah, because it makes everybody tense. Yes, absolutely. Uh, John and I both were younger parents and had to really figure out the best parenting style between us. And that took a while. And that probably wasn't pleasant either. Just us being inconsistent and not knowing what to expect from one another or our kids or, you know, what our rules were going to be. So I think that was hard as well. And then there's also just the the difference in the households. Um, when his daughter is there, 
you know, they're very much a girl household and they have girl vacations, you know, with grandma and aunts and nieces and the girls are always going off and doing the things. And it's very much like spoiling all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So she gets anything and everything she wants when she's there. And that's not how we, um, that's not how our household is run at all. Uh, We are much more about like, you guys are our kids. Please go play, go outside, have fun. Um, We're not worried about, you know, buying, buying their happiness. And sometimes I think that that comes across as us being a little more harsh, but I, I like to think of it more as a balance. And that's a great way to look at it because you are balancing what she sees in life. That's what we're hoping for. It's like I tell people all the time, you're planting the seed. That seed will be planted regardless of what happens at Baya Mom's house. So the older that your stepdaughter gets, she's going to remember that stuff that you've told her and the stuff that you've taught her. She may be 30 before that seed starts to grow, but it's there. For sure. I'm sure that your stepdaughter and John, your daughter, pick up on Baya Mom. Basically, she's alienating you. That's what she's doing. Yeah. There's no way to sugarcoat it. And we see that all the time. And it's sad. It is sad. You know, and we, for years, that's what we would fight with my ex about, like, try to call it to her attention. Like, you are alienating your daughter from us. Like, you are causing this rift. And she just refused to see it or believe it or pick up on it. It's just been going on for the longest time. And the best thing that you can do with that is continue to reach out to your daughter as much as you can when she's not with you and to just let her know that you love her. And I know it's hard not to bash the other parent, especially when they're bashing you to the kid and they're Mm -hmm. keeping the kid from you, basically, and just making life difficult. But she will see that on her own. I think that's also where the whole premise of Nacho has really helped us, too, because if I don't have to worry about it, I don't have to think about it. I don't need to even say her name. So there is no real discussion about, you know, whatever's going on between them as parents when she's here any longer. It's, you know, a completely different dynamic. So that has led to, I feel like, a lot more relaxed environment in our home. Right. Which the stepdaughter slash daughter picks up on. It's got to be more pleasant for her now, too. We surely hope so. When we first started looking into nachoing, well, when we heard the the first things about it, uh, what was the step parent summit? Mm-hmm. parent summit. When we first heard about it, you know, it immediately clicked to both of us like this is what we need to do. Right? For the longest time, we've known that Amy and my ex wife trying to compete essentially against each other was causing the conflict. Um, we just didn't know what else to do, and it's to the point where. Amy's such has such a conflict with my ex-wife that it bleeds over to her relationship with my daughter. And so recognizing that and trying to use this not showing technique to kind of rebuild their relationship has been key. But it's what gave me anxiety and what I had to talk through and really work with Amy about is you know, as we said earlier, for like five years, we really put up this front, like we're a nuclear family. Amy is your mom you know, a mom to you. She's been mama Amy since my daughter could speak. And so now we're taking a step back from that and saying, you know, if you're having issues, you know, disengage, go you know, do the nacho eating technique, um, send them, send her to me. And it's just, 
it's a mind shift from us and it's going to be, it is a, a shift for my daughter as well. And so that's where my anxiety spike and that's really trying to get over that and, and see the benefit of it uh, with that shift. It, it was a hard, it's a hard shift mm-hmm. from what we were originally doing. And so when we first start out, that's you know the biggest sticking point in my mind. Like we're upside down in her understanding of our relationship essentially. Right. And from my perspective, I kind of thought the opposite. Things have been so contentious for so long that this is going to be a relief because, you know, I'm, I don't have anything negative to say and I am not trying to step in and be the parent by any means. I'm just, you know, go see your dad, go ask your dad. And so I had to try and get John's buy-in by letting him know, you know, it's not something actively where we need to be like, Hey, stepdaughter, I am not your mom. So don't call me that. And don't come to me for anything. Like that's not at all what we were intending on doing. And so I think just trying to let him know, like, this is about how we can let things start to build organically and just encouraging him to be the parent. And it's not anything where I am being negative in any manner really helped kind of solidify that this was the right move. Right. Exactly. By you stepping back and letting dad parent, you are setting the stage for you to have a great relationship with her. She'll be able to come to you with boy problems. She'll be able to come to you with daddy problems (laughs) because she's going to trust you and you're going to be a confidant and you're going to be a place that she's not judged. I feel like that's such a ideal end goal. And I really hope that eventually we're able to get there on both sides. You will. You really will. And I believe that because y'all obviously work together well. You're obviously open to trying things that may be against the norm to make things work. And you obviously care about the kids. And that's what matters. And they'll see that. I never thought that my stepkids would call me and go, hey, you got a minute? I need some advice. I never thought that. Even when I still had the nuclear family dreams before everything went to crap. But definitely once everything went to crap, I never thought that once they left, I'd ever talk to them again, honestly. (laughs) So when they call me now and I'm talking to them and David goes, who are you talking to? And I'll tell him, you know, one of the kids, he's like, what? Why aren't they calling me? I'm like, because they don't need your advice right now. They need mine. And it's awesome. But they also will talk to me about things that they're not sure how to approach their dad with things that they think he may get upset about. It's almost one of those, Lori, how do you think I should handle this? Slash, Lori, will you tell daddy for me? And it's great. And you'll get there. So when you have your daughter, John, and by mom starts texting you all this crap, do you feel the need to respond to her? Or are you able to just basically gray rock her and not respond unless it is something that needs to have a response? Uh, Historically, I do feel the need to respond. and. So what I will give myself kudos for um, is just, I don't always, you know, go for the jugular and fight back, but I I will respond to her. I I don't, I have trouble just ignoring her. Um, She's very persistent. Right. Because you don't want to be ignored. Right. Right. Responding and, and, and engaging, I guess, are two different things. Right. And that's exactly what I was going to say is you can respond with got your message. Thanks. Without going into every detail. Or you can respond with okay. And just because you say okay doesn't mean you're going to do what she's telling you to do. It just means, okay, you know, I got your message. When she does that, she's stealing your time away from your daughter with you. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what she wants. She wants her daughter to have a bad time when she's there. It would probably please her greatly if your daughter said, I don't ever want to go back to daddy's. Absolutely. And the way the world is now, if we text somebody, we expect a response in 17 seconds flat. (laughs) And if they don't respond, we're like, oh, they're mad at us or they didn't like what I said or they're ignoring me. And it's okay to not respond to somebody for an hour or so. You don't have to respond immediately. And if she wants to keep blowing up your phone, then let her. You respond to her when you have a chance. But don't let her not only steal your time with your daughter, but don't let her affect your mood to the point that you're not the awesome person you are with your daughter because bio moms upset you. And I would almost say that that exact scenario impacts me more than John, even so he um, or I before, you know, any sort of disengagement, that's exactly what would happen. Um, I would, you know, see a message or he would let me know, hey, I got this message. And it was just instant anger, instant anxiety, instant like, well, we got to fix this right now. Stop what we're doing so we can formulate a, a response. And I think that the best advice I've ever gotten about anything in life is so truly applicable to co-parenting and especially the high conflict situations. And it's literally that you can control only your own behavior. There is nothing you will ever do to influence or control someone into acting the way that you want. All you can do is change yourself. Exactly. I remember picking my son up when he was little from daycare and having a great day, you know, having a great day at work and picking him up and had plans when I got home to do stuff with him, whatever it was. And I go to the mailbox and there's a letter from my attorney. And that's just as bad as getting an email from the ex. Sometimes worse. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it just put me in such a bad mood that I ended up letting it ruin my night. And You know, parent guilt, not just guilty parent syndrome, but parent guilt will eat you alive because three, four days later, you're like, I didn't even spend time with little Johnny because I was mad about the letter from the attorney and da, 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 da. But once you can say, okay, I've got this letter, I can be mad, I can be upset, I can be angry, whatever, but I'm giving it five minutes and that's it. I'm not going to let it steal my joy. I'm not going to let it upset me to where I'm snippy with my kid. And it's not easy to do, but we have more control over our minds than we can ever imagine. I read when I was doing one of the challenges for the Nacho Kids Academy about changers thinking, thinking, I was reading about, you know, people that have fear of public speaking. Well, what a lot of people do to get over that fear is they picture themselves having done it before. So they're not as nervous. And then I did some more research, and you can convince yourself that you climbed Mount Everest, even though you've never been there. We convince ourselves of things all the time that are not true. Amy can convince herself she's a bad stepmom. John can convince himself that he's a bad husband because he's not fighting with the ex trying to get custody of the daughter. And we can't let that happen because that takes away so much from our lives that we're not allowing ourselves to experience happiness. It's such a honestly simple yet profound thought because, you know, when his daughter is here, we go long stretches where we just have our um, baby together and then my son and the impacts that they feel as well when we are anxious or upset 
about things that are going on, you know, in my brain, I'm like, they, they have to deal with this day in and day out. So does it impact them more than it impacts her? And probably not. It's just in different doses. Mm -hmm. Letting go of control of things we can't control is hard. It's so hard. But once we realize that it's really the ultimate control of letting those things go, it's empowering. If you've listened to the podcast, you may have heard me say, I remember when I first started nachoing and I was sitting at work in a meeting and they were talking about how they were going to do the inventory that year. And I'm thinking they are making this so difficult for no reason. And so I was about to say something and I'm like, stop, don't waste your energy. Do you really want to try to convince them for two days that what they're doing is wrong when they're probably not even going to listen to you anyway? So I'm like, no, I'm not saying nothing. And then when I realized I didn't say anything, I'm like, you go, Lori, look at there. I'm so (laughs) proud of myself. That's awesome. It is. And we can choose how we let things affect us. We all go through sad things. You can sit there and think about somebody that's passed away and it breaks your heart. Well, that's okay. We're allowed to have emotions, but you don't want to sit there and think about that all day long. And you don't want to go through that memory box every day of things that cause you hurt. David and I had actually tried to do the podcast a couple of years ago, well, several years ago, and I wasn't ready. And when I say that, it was because when we would talk about things that happened with the stepkids, I felt the hurt again, and I would let it bother me. So that's when I had to work on myself and realize that I can't help other people if I'm still getting wrapped up in the hurt. You know, I have to almost look at it for what it is. It's in the past. We've all grown from it. We love each other. I don't have to let it hurt like it did then. And so that allows me to acknowledge, yes, that hurt me, but then I can move on from it. It's almost like if you bring up an argument that you and John had, you know, five years ago, what good does that do? Nothing other than John thinking, man, Amy's got a good memory. She does, man. It's, (laughs) It's crazy. But we do that. But you know why we do it is it's our protection mechanisms. It's, oh, well, I'm not going to let you do this because you you did this one time and it hurt me. So our brain kicks into, whoop, nope, don't let John do that. Remember that time John did this? And the next thing you know, you've spiraled and poor John doesn't know what's going on because you've just relived the last five years of every bad thing that happened between y'all. Right. And he just wants spaghetti for supper. Exactly. (laughs) Those those are the bad nights. What happened? And I know it's not always easy to do because things that hurt us are what we remember. It's simple. But when you start feeling that way, you can change your thought process. Don't sit there and fester in it because it is in the past and you can't grow by holding on to that past so hard. There's a blog that I wrote. It was one of the very first blogs that I wrote about clean slate. And I love it because we expect people to give us a clean slate. Amy, you don't want to wake up tomorrow and John go, you remember yesterday when you did this? Well, it really made me mad. And you don't want to wake up the next day and go, John say, well, remember yesterday when I was talking to you about what made me mad? Well, it made me mad that you responded this way. But we deserve a clean slate. You have to let it go. You have to realize that it's weighing you down. And if you start each day with a clean slate, whether it's towards your kids, your husband, your wife, your stepkids, even the neighbor, you won't feel so burdened in life. I surely don't want somebody bringing up my past mistakes. So I want a clean slate. And I remember with the stepkids, one of them had, um, it's actually a funny story. They had actually decided to clean up after they cooked one night. Great, right? You think that's awesome? Well, 
they didn't have the common sense to let the griddle cool down before they stuck it back in the pantry. Oh, no. (laughs) So there were a few things that melted or, you know, warped, whatever. Thank God there wasn't a fire. But the next day when I saw it, I could have been mad about that. I could have been mad about that all day long. And I'm like, no, mm -mm." at least they cleaned up after themselves. At least the house didn't catch on fire. I mean, we can find a lot of positives in this. At least they cook for themselves. Or I can harp on the fact that, oh, it melted my Tupperware bowl that I had since I was two. But it's just not worth it. You have to give things the proper emotional weight. And a lot of times that includes taking things to extremes. Kind of like with the griddle melting the stuff. The extreme would be our house burnt down. So I'm thankful our house didn't burn down. You definitely have to count your blessings. It's uh, difficult to do. And to your point, it's easy to get stuck in the, the negatives because that's that's what happened. But um, allowing yourself to feel it and move on is the, the skill that we could really benefit from. Mm-hmm. You're in the academy, right? Yes. Okay. First of all, y'all need to join a coaching call if you can. Secondly, um, do the change your stinking thinking challenge. Okay. I I love research, and it was one of my favorite that I did. And it would be good for you because it doesn't sound like you really have issues with the stepdaughter like a lot of step parents have. How long have you been in the academy? Um, I think two months. Two months, I think. Okay. What would you say has been the best thing that you've learned so far being in the academy? I would say that really just having the insight from other couples or parents that have been through this and hearing that we are not alone, because I think that often we feel as step parents that we are expected to essentially treat our stepchildren as if we are a nuclear family and love them as our own. And there are no exceptions to that. And we hear a lot of outsiders say, uh, well, if you don't love their kid, you should just leave them. And that's just truly not the case. So being able to hear other people adapt and succeed has been I mean, just so valuable. I think there was one where it was from the men's perspective and there were four, four, maybe five stepdads on there talking and um, just hearing, you know, what they had gone through and being able to relate to their wives being in the same situation and how the technique, once they learned it to do it and apply it to what stressed them, changed their lives. And the want to have that is strong enough that it's, you know, keeping us on track and and pushing us to grow. And it's not easy to grow. No, it's not. And for y'all, it's like you mentioned earlier, you started off one way and now you're changing up. So you're trying to break habits that you've had for years. Right. The the one, I mean, I've learned quite a bit, but the one sticking point that really kind of turned the corner for me was the the thought, pretty sure it was uh, David's um, solo mm-hmm. one uh, where he tells a story. And, the, and it was like, well, did you marry this woman to be the mother of these children or your children? Or did you marry her because you wanted her to be your wife? And, you know, it doesn't sound profound. It's not something you really dwell on. But when we started, like Amy came in, was, was the mother of my daughter. When she was here, like she was mom and she acted like mom. She took the responsibility of mom and it's been embedded for so long that it really took that introspection and um, that that brought out to be like, no, I married her because I love her. Like I love being with her and I want her to be my wife. So if she needs to step back from being mom, 
that's okay. That's not what I, she wasn't hired to be mom. She was, she's not the <laughs> nanny of my, my daughter. Like she's my wife. She's my friend. She's my confidant. She's not, she's not, it's okay. It's okay. Right. And a lot of people don't have to go to the extremes that we had to. For instance, Amy, it doesn't sound like you had a horrible relationship with John's daughter. So you don't need to fully disengage for a year to repair that relationship or to heal. Whereas things were so bad with us that the kids and I both needed a break, a long break. And then once I started slowly reengaging, it was automatically different. It was, I enjoyed being around them. And it shocked me. I'm not going to lie. I was like, whoa, that, that kid's kind of funny. You know, I learned to love them for who they are. And it's hard to do that when you're wrapped up in all the stresses. And that's like you mentioned, John, that you felt stuck in the middle kind of when Amy would tell you something and you didn't know what to do because you didn't want to deal with the ex. You didn't want to, you know, rock the boat kind of thing. But a lot of times we don't realize that we're creating more stress because we're trying to help too much. And just because Amy's not showing your daughter, that doesn't mean that you're all alone. It just means that you need to parent your daughter and your daughter needs to be parented by you so she can build a bond with Amy. And that doesn't mean that if she's hungry that Amy says, well, you need to starve to death because your daddy's not going to be here for six hours. (laughs) That's not nacho and that's just being horrible. So you have to find the level of what's going to work best for y'all. And I think y'all are finding that. trying to. Y'all got this. No doubts. We definitely have the uh, willpower to make it work. And you know what? If you didn't have that willpower, it's not going to. It's like you can't join Weight Watchers and think, well, you know, I'll try it for a couple days. And then you decide you're going to go to the Golden Corral and eat the buffet. (laughs) You have to stick with it. And you have to realize, hey, this may not be easy. And it's probably not going to be easy. But the rewards in the end are so worth it. I do want to ask y'all a question before we wrap up. John, do you parent Amy's son or did you up until recently? Or what's that relationship like? So her son living here all the time, like I was parenting him a lot and it it became contentious um, as well. So the way that I was parenting him was not, a lot of times wasn't appropriate. Like I had a lot of anger towards his behavior and I let things get under my skin too much. And so... When we started nachoing, it was very much like, you need to go ask your mom, you need to go do this. Uh, that's not a question for me. Like, go talk to your mom. And, uh, you know, it's really helped back off trying to parent the things that were causing stresses. And it uh, just gives me the opportunity to be like, so I'm a kid. Uh, I still engage uh, where I feel comfortable. And that's not going to be a negative interaction with him. And we have a pretty good relationship, notwithstanding, you know, really contentious parenting issues, like mm-hmm. whatever those may be. So, so we're still in a good place and this has just allowed me to make our daily interactions so much better. It's really been difficult for me to, to not snap because I think I've been doing it for so long and he, you know, he still gets under my skin. Mm-hmm. He still annoys me sometimes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really have been working on biting my tongue and just, you know, ignoring it or disengaging myself and just letting Amy parent when she feels appropriate. And that I really just been going with the flow a lot more. And I think that, I think that it's been going well. Do you feel less stressed? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that the reason that I feel less stressed is because when I was 
trying to parent and be controlling and be a drill sergeant, essentially is what I was. Um, it bothered Amy. And, you know, once you bother your spouse, now you've got the second fight on your hands, you know, it's, it just wasn't worth it. Right. And so now, even if his behavior still bothers me, which it does, you know, that's one piece. If I'm not responding and not engaging in those situations, now I'm not upsetting my wife. And now I'm not causing heartburn after the fact, you know, and I can disengage and just go to my own thing or, you know, the the worst, worst times if it's something real bad, you know, I can tag Amy in and be like, hey, look, this is X, Y, Z, but not, you know, it's just, it's been so much better. It really has. Right. And I know this may be a sensitive question, but do you feel like that you not having your daughter as much as Amy having her son, that it can create some kind of resentment almost? So it causes a lot of bad feelings, I think, between everyone because for a variety of reasons. Not necessarily resentment that, oh, you get to see your son so much more, but the, the guilty parent syndrome mm-hmm. that, that you all talk about. You know, I look at that and what happens is when my daughter's here, it's not so much that I won't punish her or I don't feel bad. I mean, if she does something wrong, I'm not opposed to disciplining her. And if she was in trouble with her mom and it carried over, which really doesn't happen, I would still honor that. I'd be like, well, you lost your privileges. Not going to have them here. That's not how this works. But what happens is when she comes here, it's like, oh, well, I have 48 hours with her. Like, I want this time to be great. Like I want to be, I want to spend time with her. I want to have fun with her. And so a lot of my energy and attention is directed towards her. And Amy has pointed out multiple times is that I light up. Like I become a, a better person almost. Like I just have this energy that I don't always have when she's not here. And so that part causes a contention. And that's really driven because of the time that she's not here. And so that's a situation that I'm working on. But I don't feel... Uh, resentment towards Amy or Sebastian uh, for having extra time here um, over my daughter. Right. With David, I would say something like Jackson would go to his dad's for the weekend and I'm like, I miss my baby. And he wouldn't really say anything. But then eventually he would say, it bothers me when you say you miss him for a weekend when I'm not seeing my kids every other week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Amy uh, doesn't normally do that. So when Sebastian's gone for the weekend with his dad, it's it's a non-issue. It doesn't really matter. But there have been times where he's gone for a week, maybe, goes on vacation and she says, you know, I miss Sebastian. And yeah, my head definitely goes to that that space immediately. Like, okay, well, I went four weeks without seeing her, my daughter. How do you think I felt? And that's, you know, playing in my head. And it's very difficult to squash that and, and try to see where she's coming from. Or even talking about parenting and, and, you know, pointing fingers about, Oh, you, you're acting so much different when she's here. I'm like, it's hard because you have your son all the time. Mm-hmm. You see him 90% of the time. I see my daughter, maybe 40% if you include the summer. And so it's just different and we're coming from different places and it's, it's just something people got to work through. And I think communication plays a big part. You just have to talk through it and really have empathy and understanding from for what the other person is going through. It's not always a, a competition between right. the two. Everyone's allowed to have you. Exactly. And communication is key. Communication, compassion, grace, and understanding. Because it's not, Amy's not going to understand what it feels like not having her son, but every other weekend, because she's not going through that. 
But Amy's a smart girl and she's, I'm sure she thinks, yeah, that can't be easy. That would have to suck. And I'm sure that she likes seeing you light up. But then she's thinking, well, why can't he be happy with just us? (laughs) Yep, we've had that exact conversation, actually. But when you don't have your kid, it's almost like a part of you's missing. And it would help if he didn't have to deal with the high conflict by a mom, too. Right. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed that high conflict by a mom will be less high conflict now that she's gotten hitched. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Maybe maybe they have their own uh, hours kid and maybe that'll help too. Does the guy she married have kids? No, no. Yeah, it's interesting. He, in my mind, he reflects where I was nine years ago. (laughs) Like he very much resembles like what I was back when her and I were together. I've grown exponentially since then, but it's very interesting. She's got a type. She's got a type. That's right. Well, as long as she don't go any younger after this one, John. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, both of you, for being a guest on our podcast. It has been great. And things will get better. And don't think they won't. Think positive. Be positive in your thinking. Thank you. That's a definite goal. It's on our list to really focus on. For sure. We'll start that Nacho Kids Change Your Stinking Thinking Challenge. You can start it any day. It's a month long, so if you start today, you'll be three before Christmas. Awesome. I'll take a look. All right, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, man over there, I can't say your name but one time during the podcast intro and outro. (laughs) You really should have been a part of this interview, but, you know, you're slack. I was working. Yeah. Now, all of us can not work. What? Oh, I didn't say anything about you. Why did you take offense at that? You know, let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> what is said and what is heard mm-hmm. are often two different things. Very much so. So, for instance, if David walks out and these red jogger pants. Which I do have, by the way. <laughs> and an orange cut-off sleeve Harley Davidson shirt. Which I do have, by the way. <laughs> And I say, are you wearing that? Which I will, by the way. <laughs> he may hear. I'll tell you exactly what I hear. I hear, who dressed you that way? <laughs> Certainly, you're not going to be out in public with me looking like that. So in that instance, he was correct. <laughs> <laughs> But oftentimes, (laughs) we don't hear what the other person truly means in their words. Mm -hmm. For instance, David can say, those pants fitting kind of tight on you, honey. And I hear, how you doing there, Chunky? (laughs) Is that what you hear? Pretty much. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying. We can't. We cannot talk about that. (laughs) Or. I'm saying they must have had a sale at the Sherwin-William paint store. Or. (laughs) (laughs) Or David may say, man, this house is a wreck. And what I hear is, Lori, you are not doing a good job keeping this house clean because you know, as the woman, that is your job. But that's what I meant. David. <laughs> Y'all, this hadn't happened in a while. No, don't shoot me with the nerve. <laughs> but it's happening. I know y'all missed it. 
but just for now, here it comes. No. Little nerfy. Oh, it's abuse. And nothing less than abuse. I didn't even hit you. There should be. It's the fear you put in me. Did it make your that's cortisol a, levels rise? It did. That's emotional abuse. Well, good. How's it feel? You should go to some kind of 12-step program for nerfies. <laughs> <laughs> the little nerfies, it's only a six-step program. Well, whatever. Yeah, well, I still love my little nerfie. Anyway, I don't know what got me off on that. Because you probably heard something that I said. I don't hear anything you say. Well, then there's no misunderstanding. Well, no, really, you don't hear anything I say. I do hear it. I just don't want to respond. You don't to comprehend. It. I don't comprehend. We are going to have an active listening course Look, or challenge in the Nacho Kids Academy, no. and mm-hmm. I'm going to make David take it. No, you misunderstand. You misunderstand the superpower <laughs> that men have with the ability to selectively listen. Okay, it's, and it's Y'all, not that we don't hear it. We can selectively listen. We can tune out things that would blow your mind. When I was little, we thought my dad had a hearing problem (laughs) and really wanted to get him a hearing aid for Christmas. His hearing was fine. Yeah, because men have superpowers. No. Yes. You need to learn active listening. Well, it really boils down to men only want to listen to that which is important. And therefore... Okay. Another bullet. Y'all getting a twofer. I'm about sick of his, David. Oh, you oh. missed. Uh. That was a dud. It was like a firework dud. Ow. All right. That's fine. Guess what? Yours is wimpy. Yours is wimpy. That didn't hurt me. All right, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Everybody's hearing us shooting Nerf guns at each other. Y'all, that's a stress reliever. It really is. We need to have another Nerf gun war. No. All right. So that's our show for today, folks. Thanks for joining us. I'm trying to wrap this up so I can shoot you. <laughs> Join us next week when we have another exciting episode. And uh, hopefully you won't hear Lori emotionally and physically abusing me the way she normally does. Thank you all that have contributed and sent donations for me to shoot David with the nacho, I mean, with the little Nerfy gun. And for, you know, every time I bash him, I appreciate it. Yes. All right. So until next time, remember, life is good. Wing you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.